Heaven is our home. The author of Hebrews tells us that this world, this fallen world, this earth as we know it is not, I repeat, it is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to, and here it is, a home yet to come. I am homesick. I am homesick. I have been for a while now. I long to be in a place I've never been or even seen, and yet I know it to be my eternal home. And so today what I want to do is I want to continue unpacking from God's word what heaven will be like. And before we do that, though, before we jump into what it will be like, I want to spend a little bit of time actually talking about, chatting about what heaven will not be. Because there are, trust me, there are so many misunderstandings, so many misconceptions about what our promised home will be like. And so let's start with what heaven will not be. Heaven is not full of chubby angel babies relaxing on clouds, strumming harps, and flapping their little undersized wings. That is not heaven. That is a Pampers commercial. Heaven will not be the never-ending church service in the sky. I'm really not sure where we got this idea from, that when we get to heaven, that there will be church service 24 hours a day, seven days a week for all eternity. I am a pastor, and I actually like church, and that does not sound like heaven to me. In fact, that sounds a little bit more like hell, if I'm honest. Heaven won't be the never-ending church service in the sky. Will there be singing? Yes. Will there be, you know, worship? Of course. Is that all we are going to be doing? No, not a chance. Heaven will be so much more. Which brings me to the next false assumption. Will heaven be boring or will it eventually get boring? And we're going to talk about this in detail next week. But trust me, when we start to grasp the landscape of heaven from a biblical perspective, boredom is not an option. Another misconception that culture throws our way is this, is that in heaven we all become angels. And friends, this is simply, this is just not true. Uh, After Maggie passed away, after she died, so many well-intentioned people, good people, wanted to comfort us. And they would refer to her as our little angel in heaven. You know, they would say things like, it must be nice to know that you have a little angel in heaven that's looking down on you. And I get it, it's a thoughtful gesture. But again, it's simply not true. Maggie was one of the sweetest little girls you would ever have met, but she was not an angel on earth, and she is certainly not one now. Angels are angels. Humans are humans. And we don't become some angelic being upon entering heaven. We don't receive our wings when a bell rings. We are born human, and we will remain fully human throughout all of eternity. The last misconception before we jump into what heaven will be like is this, and this is probably the biggest one, and that is this. Everyone gets in. Everyone gets in to heaven. In fact, 72% of Americans, so the majority of Americans, believe that when they die, they are going to go to heaven. And yet, Jesus said that the path to heaven is narrow and few find it. Most Americans still believe that if they live a good enough life, or at least a pretty good life, that they will be eternally rewarded. Friends, 
this is, this is so important. Good people don't get into heaven. Good people do not get into heaven. Forgiven people do. Forgiven people get into heaven. There is a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you have surrendered your heart and your life to him, by grace, your name gets written into that book. The disciple John, he talks about it. He put it this way. He says, and I saw, he saw this in a dream, a great white throne and the one sitting on it, and that is Jesus. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including, here it is, the book of life. And verse 15 tells us that anyone, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. On that day, when we close our eyes on this life, to this life, and we open them before God, the only thing that will matter, the only thing that makes any difference is about getting into heaven, whether you're in or whether you're out, is whether or not your name is written into the book. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Randy Alcorn tells a story of a gal named Ruthanna Metzger. And Ruthanna Metzger was a professional singer. And years ago, she was asked to sing at a wedding of a very, very wealthy man. And at the invitation, right, according to the invitation, the reception would be held on the top two floors of our own Seattle's Columbia Tower, the tallest skyscraper in, our, in, in all Seattle. And she and her husband, Roy, were thrilled. They were looking forward to the event. They could not wait. Well, the wedding came. The big day was here. And it was more spectacular than they ever dreamed it could be. Ruthanna sang, and she sang her heart out. And she did a beautiful, beautiful job. Everything then was transitioning. They said their I do's. They're moving to the reception. And when they were going to the Columbia Tower, the waiters were there in their tuxedos, um, and they were offered luxurious hors d'oeuvres and fancy beverages as they waited outside the entrance to the reception. Well, eventually, the bride and groom finally arrived, and, and, and someone announced that the wedding feast is about to begin. The bride and groom go in, and all of a sudden the guests start to funnel inside. But they were stopped at the huge double doors by this major D um, with this big book. And he greeted the guests, and, and, and Ruthanna and, and Roy, they walked up there, and they, he asked them, you know, can I please have your name? And she said, I'm Ruthanna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. And he searched, the major D, he searched the M's, but then he looked puzzled. And he says, um, unfortunately... I am not finding it. Would you mind spelling your name for me? And so Ruthanna, she spelled her name slowly. Um, and, and, and after that, after searching some more, the major D looked up and said, I am so sorry, but your name isn't there. And Ruthanna said, that, well, there has to be some mistake. I, I, I'm the singer. I sang at this wedding. And the gentleman answered, again, I am sorry. But it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in this book, you cannot attend the banquet. And then the man, he motioned for a waiter to come over and, and said, would you please show these people to the service elevator? 
And so Ruthanna and Roy, um, they, they followed the waiter past this beautifully decorated tables full of shrimp and full whole smoked salmon and these crazy carved ice sculptures. There was even like an orchestra, a band preparing um, to, to play. They were all dressed in these crazy white tuxedos. And the waiter took them to the elevator and, and he pushed them in, or he didn't push them in, but he, he ushered them in and he pushed the button, the G button, which took them down to the parking garage. And after they found their car, they got in, they drove out of the parking garage and they were driving around for a few minutes in silence. Roy reached over and he put his hand on Ruthanna's arm and said, sweetheart, what, what, what happened? And Ruthanna softly said, I don't know. When the invitation arrived, I, I was just so busy that I never actually bothered to RSVP. And, and she said, besides, I was the singer, and I, I just assumed that they would let me in even without an RSVP. And then Ruthanna, she started to cry, not just because she had missed the most lavished banquet that she had ever been invited to, but she all of a sudden had a small taste of what it will be like one day when people will stand before God and they will not be able to find their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, may we not become so focused on what we are doing today, so distracted that we neglect responding, replying, RSVPing to Jesus' gracious invitation. If you have never taken the time to check yes, to say yes to Jesus. Today could be your day. And if you want to say yes to him and to his beautiful banquet, this invitation that he offers, please let us know. You can do that in the chat feature right by the side. You can email us. You can message us. You could check the box in the connection card. Here's what we want to do. We just want to help you to find your way home. And so, friends, what will our home be like? What will heaven be like? What I'd like to do is I'd like to review this through pictures. We talked about this last week. This is the earth. This is our home. This is where we reside. This is our planet. And we know that somewhere out there, somewhere where we cannot see is heaven. It's either in this universe or an alternative universe. We just know that when someone dies, they head to heaven. And more specifically, our focus last week was the intermediate heaven. So where Maggie is right now, my, my daughter, she is in the intermediate heaven. And it is called the intermediate heaven or the present heaven because at some point in time, heaven is going to move. But right now, this is its current state. This is its location. And Peter talks about what's going to happen next. He says, the day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief. Suddenly, that means suddenly, without warning. Then the heavens, as they exist now, will pass away with a roar. And the very elements themselves, think the periodic table, will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Like a volcano erupts, it is going and wipes everything out. The earth will burn and it will wipe everything out in it. And then in verse 11, Peter says this. He says, since all these things will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should we be? 
And like Jesus answers his own questions, Peter answers his own question. He says, your lives should be holy and dedicated to God as, and this is the important part, as you look forward to the day of God. What Peter is saying is he's saying live right and look forward to, dwell on, think about, anticipate the promised heaven. This is what we mean when we say to live with heaven in mind. Back to verse 12, it says, On that day he will set the heavens on fire, and the elements will melt away in the flame. And then here it is again, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised. This, this is our focus today, the renewed earth and the restoration plan that God has had from the very, very, very beginning to bring the heaven, the intermediate heaven, to the renewed earth so that we have what theologians call the eternal heaven or the new heaven and the new earth. This is the place that Christ is preparing for us. This is our eternal home. For years, as a new believer, and and even as a pastor, I admit, I kind of saw God as this frustrated inventor whose invention or creation had failed. And as a result, what he's going to do is he's going to destroy the earth and he would abandon this planet and simply start over. It's cleaner. It's fresh. And what he would do is his consolation would be that he would save a few. He would save a few from the fire by taking them to a new place. This would be plan B. The earth... That whole thing didn't work. That's plan A. Plan B is that we would end up on some unforeseen or unseen, unearthly, disembodied heaven. That is what I thought. And what I've come to find is that that is what so many people think. And it wasn't only until about five years ago, after Maggie stepped into heaven, after I started to really study heaven, that my eyes were open to what Scripture had said all along. And that is this, God is not going to abandon his creation. What he's going to do is restore it. He's going to restore his creation. The apostle John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. To our ears, when we hear that verse, when we hear the word new, it implies do-over, brand new, basically Return the broken one to Amazon and they'll ship you a new one. But this is one example where the original Greek that is translated into English, it fails us. Because the Greek word new is kainos. Kainos, which technically means renewed. To be renewed. And this is so important. Because God is... He is not starting over from scratch. He's actually saving, or I think a better word, salvaging that which is sacred to him. In one of the most famous verses in all of scripture, Paul says this. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone or the old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. That word new in that famous verse is the same word kainos, renewed. So what Paul is actually saying, he says, is if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a renewed creation. This is Christianity 101. 
Christianity 101. God will renew us. He is going to renew humanity. We will get a renewed heart, Ezekiel 36. We will have renewed strength, Isaiah 40. We will have a renewed mind, Romans 12, and we will have a renewed spirit, Psalm 51. God's redemption plan, it is so much bigger than we even realize because God plans to renew not just us as human beings, but all of creation. Everything will be renewed. Everything will be renewed. In Matthew 19, Jesus specifically uses the phrase, at the renewal of all things. When he's talking to Peter, he says, at the renewal of all things. In Revelation 21, Jesus says, behold, I am making all things, and here it is again, kainos, new or renewed. I am making all things renewed. When God originally created all things, including the earth, including us, for his glory, he said it was good. And he has never retracted that claim. He created it, therefore it is good. And even though we have tainted it, he is not planning on abandoning it. Like I said, he's going to renew it. He's going to restore it because everything will be renewed. Somehow, Somehow we have overlooked an entire biblical vocabulary that makes this point crystal clear. Scattered all throughout the Bible and all throughout Scripture, you see words like reconcile, redeem, restore, regenerate, return. You see words like renew, recover, and resurrect. These R prefix, this R prefix that's in all throughout Scripture, what it does is it implies a return to an original condition of that which was like lost or ruined or broken. Everything will be renewed. Just look at the the miracles of Jesus. They are all, catch this, all miracles of restoration. They're all except for the fig tree. Outside of the fig tree, every single miracle is about renewal. For example, the restoration of health. Someone is sick. They are restored to health. Other people were miracles, were restored to life, restoration to life. They were dead. Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, were brought back to life, restored to life. There is the restoration to freedom of those who are in demonic possession. They were restored back to a free life. Everything will be renewed. Five years ago, this truth hit me so hard that for a time, I actually wanted to call this church Restoration Church. We really were going to call it that. But then I thought, you know what? I don't want to be known as the Restoration Hardware Church. And so we decided to go the Arbor direction, and now we're basically known as the church who really, really, really likes trees. Personally, I like restoring things. Taking something that has been damaged or something that has been uh, discarded, and then making it new again, restoring it. I love to do that, to work with my hands. If you were to come to my house and you were to really look around, you would notice that our desk, our our coffee tables, our end tables, our chest, our cabinets, even my wife's childhood pianos have, piano, we don't have two, piano, has been restored. They're restored pieces. 
um, the fence that you see outside of our house and our kitchen ceiling. They're even made out of salvaged wood from my childhood deck in Eatonville growing up. We have restored so much inside of our house. And probably my favorite piece is the coffee table right in front of our TV. And the reason this is my favorite piece is because it has such significance. When we first got it, we were in a different house, and we were moving from that house. And as we were moving, we knew that they were going to demolish the house that we were in, so what we did is we gave the girls permanent markers, and we told Maggie and we told Paisley to simply just go draw on the wall, make whatever you want. And so they did, and all the walls, they made pictures, and we did this for a little while until at some point, Maggie got a little carried away, and she actually drew on our coffee table, our new coffee table. And so I couldn't get it to come off. There was nothing that I could do. And so I sanded it down. And what I did is I restored it. And I made it better. And even to this day, you'll notice, the, the, you can't see it, but her words, her drawings, her, her scribbles are underneath the new wood that we put on top. We refurbished, remade something, and I know that her little handwriting is in there too. It was something that was damaged, something that was broken, discarded, if you will, and we made it into something new. God is the ultimate salvage artist. He reverses the curse. He takes what was broken, what was discarded, and he makes it new again. And that includes us. And not only does that include us, it includes the earth as well. Everything will be renewed. An author by the name of Albert Walter, he uh, wrote a book called Creation Regained, and he writes this. He says, God hangs on to his fallen original creation, and, and this is big, he salvages it. He refuses to, uh, to abandon the work of his hands. In fact, he sacrificed his own son to save his original project. What is that? That's us. That's creation. That's the earth. Mankind, which botched its original mandate, and the whole creation along with it, is given another chance. How? In Christ. We are reinstated as God's managers on earth, a renewed earth. The original good creation is to be restored. God did not make a mistake. God didn't mess up. God didn't give up and hasn't given up on his original creation. He plans to, and this is his plan from all along, is to renew everything. Think about it. What happened what happened when Adam and Eve were ate, ate of that fruit? Right? What were the repercussions of the fall? What were the consequences of the curse? One, we had separation from God, right? We were cast out of the garden, and that was because of sin. Two, death. Mortality entered into the equation. Prior to that, humanity was built for all eternity. What was the third thing? childbirth, that there would be pain during childbirth, to which every mother knows what I'm talking about, right? And I've obviously never experienced this. I don't think I could handle it. It looks so painful. I've been in a few. They look scary. What's the fourth one? The serpent. The snake, he had legs, and then he was made to slither on the ground on his belly from that point on. What was the last one? The last effect, the last repercussion of the curse was that the ground itself was cursed. 
Prior to that, the world or the ground, the earth, produced food like a vending machine. After that, the earth had to be toiled, worked over, and, and there were thorns and there were thistles that emerged. The Bible actually talks about that. The fact that this summer my wife and I labored over ripping out, and actually digging out blackberry bushes, because that's the only way you can do it, is we, I mean, those weren't there in the original creation. God's redemption plan is bigger than we realize. What he plans to do is exactly that, reverse the curse. The curse that happened at the fall of man, he plans to renew everything that was lost in the fall. So let's go back over it. What was it? Separation, right? God is going to reconcile our separation from him forever. Death, that's the second thing. Death is going to die forever. How does this happen? This happens through resurrection. Christ first, then us will be resurrected. There will also be no childbirth, or no, well, it probably won't be childbirth in heaven. We don't know about that. But there will be no pain in childbirth because we know that when you get to heaven, there is no pain, period. Who knows whether or not we have kids again in heaven? I'm not sure. But we do know that there will be no pain in childbirth because there will be no pain in heaven. Animals, right? I'm not sure if the serpent is going to regrow legs and be able to walk around again, but what we do know is that animals will be restored to their natural state. The lion will lie down with the lamb. And so the fifth thing, right? What about the ground? Doesn't it make sense that if God is going to reverse the curse, he's going to reverse all of it. He's not just going to stop there, including the ground. And so the whole earth will be restored. It will be renewed. It will be resurrected. And it will eventually be united with heaven at the coming together of the new heaven on the new earth. This will be the new Eden. Right? The parallels are ridiculous, guys, between Genesis and Revelation. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the podcast on Monday. So if you want to check that out. But look at the parallels. I'll close with this. In Genesis, in Genesis 3, the earth has its first radical transition. That happens there. The fall of mankind, right? And, and, and the first judgment. That is the first bookend of human history. And then what we have is in Revelation 20, we have the second bookend. The earth's last radical transition. Christ's return. The last judgment. Everything that we've experienced is in between those two bookends. Life as we know it is in between Genesis and Revelation. And in Genesis, what we see is that we see that God plants a garden here on earth, Eden. In Revelation, he brings down a new Jerusalem with a garden at the center. In Eden, there is no sin, curse, or death. In the new earth, there will be no more sin, curse, or death. In Genesis, we have a redeemer that is promised. In Revelation, we have a redeemer who returns. In Genesis, it tells us the story of paradise lost. And in Revelation, it tells the story of paradise regained. Friends, these parallels are too remarkable to be anything but deliberate. This has been God's plan all along to reverse the curse, all of it. Everything will be 
renewed. And friends, that includes us. We will be renewed. We will be restored to a version of us before there was sin. And we don't know what that looks like because we have never seen a life without sin. Everything before the curse, there will be no abuse, no insecurity, no fear, no anxiety, no guilt, no, no, no back aches, no allergies, no, no paralysis. There will be no COVID. There will be no broken relationships, no cancer, no grief, no racism, no shame, no tears. We will be fully restored. And so will all of creation. Will this world that we live on come to an end? Yes. To a final end? No. God will restore this place. From the ground itself, it will be renewed. Every thorn will, be, will disappear. The thorns, the curse, they were literally physically and even symbolically pressed into our Savior's head. Those will be removed no more blackberry bushes, nothing like that. We will be on a new earth that will become the second Eden. And so in a way, I've said over and over again that heaven is our home. In a way, this world is our home. Because heaven, when we get there, is going to move. And we are going to come back with it. And we are going to live here with God forever in paradise. And friends, that is what we have to look forward to. We have so much to look forward to. Like Peter said, we are looking forward to this new heaven and this new earth. And so we're going to talk about that in more detail, the eternal heaven next week. We're going to pick up here and we're going to keep going. And what I want to do is I want to wrestle to the ground some of the big questions about the eternal heaven. For example, what will it be like, right? We talked about the intermediate heaven. What will that be like or what it is like currently? What will the eternal heaven be like? What will our new bodies be like? Will heaven eventually get boring? I want to go into more detail there. Uh, do all dogs, in fact, go to heaven? We're going to answer this next week. As for now, what I'd like you to do is remember this truth throughout your week. It's the whole thought, the whole idea behind this series. And that is this. How we think about eternity determines how we live today. And I would even preface that to say how we think or how often we think about eternity determines how we live today. And so my hope for you this week is that you will live with eternity in mind. Let's pray.